Hi there. This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's word and the ministry of the Spirit. Um, today we'll be talking about praise. Amen. We'll be talking about praise. And I think it's a very now word for us and something we should pay a lot of attention to. Everything in the world is upheld by the spoken word. Everything. Everything. He upholds all things, the Bible says, by the word of his power. He upholds everything. And so every testimony that came out here today was a product of God's promise, God's word, God's guarantee to you. He has no incentive to deceive you. Why? Why would he say something he doesn't mean? What is he going to gain from it? If he says anything, it's because he wants to do it. He really means it. He won't tease you. All right? He won't whine you. He means it. He says anything, he means it. And he can make good his word. We are living proofs of his grace. And like I was sharing with the leaders yesterday, I said, this is not a PowerPoint tribe testimony. This is a you testimony. You can literally recount this testimony with you alone in the picture and you wouldn't have lied that God brought me forth, all right, from a place that was cramped to a large place. Remember the Bible talks about how that he would enlarge the room under you so that your legs will not sleep. It's a promise in scripture, all right. The challenge with the children of Israel was that they did not personalize the miraculous encounters they had with God. They did not personalize it. They saw it as an Israel thing. They didn't personalize it and trap it and canonize it in their minds and in their memories. And so when it was time to deliver and to share of that goodness, they had forgotten. Because by Joshua's generation, nobody remembered, uh, remembered the transition from Egypt anymore. Because by the time Joshua was going to hand over, he had nobody to hand over to. And so God had to be working with a makeshift arrangement of saviors and, you know, fighters and judges. In Samson, Jephthah, Gideon, he had to be working with what he could just find. There was nobody that preserved that memory of the transition because in their mind it was Israel that experienced it well what's my own but thank God perhaps some families in clusters and in some homes reserved and preserved that memory and continued to hand it down to generations after them such that by the time David was going to come on the scene in first Samuel we see how he came with a sense of understanding of the backing the children of Israel had lost their identity why would a thing a, a, a Goliath a man Belittle, intimidate, and bully the armies of the children of Israel for 40 days. You guys have lost something in your heritage. Do you guys know who you are? Nobody told them. They had weapons of war, but they had lost the mentality of winners. They, they, they were going for battle, but they didn't know who was the man of war backing them. Because they had not read all the things that God did through Moses in Egypt to transition them through the wilderness into the promised land. If they had read all those things and preserved them, David would not have had to come save them in the valley of Elah. But thank God perhaps some families preserved that particular relic, that history, over several hundreds of years. And David had an inkling about the kind of God he served. And that was why he came onto that scene different from every other person. He didn't come in the capacity of another soldier. He came from the platform of someone who had meditated on all the things that God had done in the past. He knew who his fathers were. 
He knew what God delivered them from. He knew how God preserved them through the wilderness. They, they, they faced natural forces of disaster like a storm. They faced the Red Sea. What is Goliath? Ten days he scheduled plagues and miracles. God, he scheduled it. He said, no, he cannot let you go now. He needs a mighty hand. And the reason why God was dramatic, do you know why? So that their minds would not forget. God could have released them the first day. Moses could have just come the first day and killed all the firstborn. That was the, you know, joker. Killed all the firstborn and they won. Pharaoh says, be going. But, but God planned it well. He, he reached the crescendo. He was doing so many dramatic things so that the children of Israel could see it and be like, wow, this God is amazing. And so that they can preserve it in their memories and their imaginations, but they forgot too quickly. That was why God was dramatic. There was nothing God did in 10 days he couldn't do in one day or in a minute. But he did all of that so that he could continue to outdo himself. He would do something in day one that day two would trump. And then day three would trump day two. And then day four. So that by, by day ten, they are like, wow, mesmerized. By the time they were going to leave through Egypt, or from Egypt, God told them, go ask your bosses and your landlords, whatever it is you have the faith to ask. They don't have the capacity to say no. And you had people asking for lands and properties and documents and they give everything that night because God had done such a miraculous thing and to think that these guys forgot you don't preserve the memory of God's faithfulness you will forget it doesn't matter how dramatic it was you will and you can forget it takes understanding to preserve from time to time go back to your journals go back to your notes and think about the things God has done again over and over and over and over again think about it because you would imagine that if you were ah if, you, if I was the one in, in in the camp of Israel why would I forget you can you can it was so dramatic you would imagine that they would never forget but they did God did not create the promised land for three people for two people for Joshua and Caleb he created it for the entire millions. But none of them could enter. Because they would not believe him. They won't believe him. They won't preserve his memory. His miracles. You know, his miracles in the, in the land of Egypt. They won't preserve that in their hearts. And so, they perish in the wilderness for forgetfulness. Today, I'll be sharing with you the, the power of praise. Of course, the title is Comely Praise, as you already know. And... We'll just be sharing some really, really amazing thoughts. And um, hopefully, after this teaching, you will make it a habit to thank God. A habit. Not something you wait for after another move to thank God again. After another miracle. No, no, no. no. You make it a habit to thank God. Psalms chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8. Wow. I'm not used to this space. Many strides, and I'm... I'm not done. Amen. Praise God. Psalms chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Powerful, powerful chapter of scripture. Verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies. He said that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. 
Look at that. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, you have ordained strength so that you can steal the enemy and the avenger. He said the reason why you ordain strength, look at that. He said he ordained strength. That means he preserved strength in a place. He kept it there. He says whenever you need strength, this is the place to go to. He called the name of that garrison, he called it praise. He has ordained strength in praise. And he says only babes and sucklings can access this garrison of praise. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have ordained strength. Because Jesus himself quoted again from this scripture in Matthew chapter 21. Go there very quickly. Very powerful verse of scripture. Matthew chapter 21. Glory to Jesus. Matthew chapter 21. So what happened was... <laughs> Let's read from verse 12, alright? Verse 12, the Bible says, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew their tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Verse 14, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them all. Hallelujah. Verse 15, And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things. Look at that. They saw the wonderful things that Jesus had just done. Bible says, And the children crying in the temple. The children, the babes and sucklings. They started crying in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, for they were so displeased. So let me read that again. Then the, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus had done, and that the children were crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were so displeased. They were so upset. They were so angry. The Bible says they saw the wonderful works of God. They saw the amazing things that Jesus, saw that Jesus was now the rave of the moment. Everybody was crying out to him and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then the scribes and the Pharisees, the Bible says, they were so vexed. They were so displeased. And then Jesus responded and said, Hearest thou not? And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, Thou, and then he used another term. He says he has perfected praise. That means the perfect type of praise needs the disposition of a child. The perfect type of praise that you can give unto God requires the disposition of a child. <laughs> There's a difference between being childish and being childlike. And Jesus here is saying that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, what the psalmist called ordained strength, Jesus called perfected praise. So it is in praise that God has reserved your strength. So this is the vicious cycle and this is how the devil manipulates people. He gets you in, into an uncomfortable situation and it begins to make you complain. While you are complaining, the devil is at large. He is let loose to continue to create the vicious cycle that has kept you in that cycle of complaining and nagging. Praise God. But the Bible says that he has ordained strength in praise. So while you are not praising, the devil is at large causing the very reason why you are complaining. But the moment you begin to praise, even when the situation is yet to change, the Bible says you steal the enemy. 
From the moment you begin to praise, the devil was going about trying to upset you, trying to get you into that moment of complaining and nagging in perpetuity. And the moment you begin to praise, he can no longer do stuff. Bible says, when you begin to praise, you steal the enemy and the avenger. You, you make them unable to perform, Bible says, their enterprise. You, you, you frustrate the tokens of the liars. And you make diviners, you make them mad. And they are trying to get you upset, but you cannot be upset. Because you have gotten into your ordained garrison of praise. And the moment you got into that, Bible says out of the matter of babes and sucklings, you have ordained strength because of your enemies to steal. To stop them in their tracks. Such that everything they were planning to do to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you, which is their entire purpose, John chapter 10 and verse 10, you were able to just eliminate all that. And you didn't have to do anything by even addressing them. The most effective way of dealing with the devil is not to address him. You didn't even talk to them. You didn't even bind them. You didn't even lose. You didn't even shout. You didn't say what's your name. You didn't, you didn't deliver anything. You just went to God in praise. And as you were praising... All the fetters of the host of heaven were binding all the principalities and powers and stealing them. And they want to do stuff, but they can't. The, the, the chains bound them too strong and they couldn't move. And so, the Bible says it is because of your enemies that you ordain strength in the garrison of praise. Such that by the time you get into that garrison of praise and you begin to praise and you activate the joy in your heart. The Bible says you steal the enemy and the avenger. Yet, you have not even addressed the enemy or the avenger. All you did was to start glorifying God and exalting him. The problem is still very much life. The problem is still very much real. Literally, you are living inside the problem. But you remove your gaze off of the realities that you're going through. And you set it upon his countenance. And you begin to behold his face on the pages of scripture. And you begin to meditate on his word. And you look upon him and you are lighted. And your face is not ashamed. And you magnify the Lord in your heart. And you set your gaze and affection on him. And you make him your entire focus and you let everything else pale in the light of his countenance Bible says whilst you begin to do that the enemy is getting stealed he just gets frozen so imagine you're watching a movie you pause everything you know you can't pause one part and then another part in the movie is playing but that's what praise does he just pauses the devil and then you go about your business doing stuff and then he's making crooked paths straight he's leveling mountains he's filling up valleys Oh dear God, the power of praise. The challenge is that we don't know this power. So we respond to our realities. When things are tight, you sound tight. When things are tough, you, you make it clear. You, you verbalize your frustration. That's the problem. And as you say those things, you release the enemy. Someone who had been frozen, you release him. And then it creates more reasons why you will continue and perpetually be in that state. Then I saw the, the strategy that Pharaoh released in the land of, of Egypt. When Moses came, the first day, Exodus 5, the first day Moses came and told, you know, Pharaoh said, let my people go so that they can worship me. Worship. This same worship. They can worship me in the wilderness and create sacrifices and altars and worship me and all that. And Pharaoh said, ah, eh, you have time to be hearing God. I know I will release this secret weapon of hell. So the Bible says, Pharaoh looked at all his taskmasters. He said, go to the camp of Israelites. He said, get their four men, that is the guys that represent all of them. And tell them that from today and forth, there will be no straw anymore. There will be no straw. There will be no straw. Alright, so tell them there will be no straw to make the bricks. The straws are supposed to make the making of the brick easier. And to make them bind further. Alright, so um, they, they told them that. And then of course, and he said, 
you will remove the straw, but you will not reduce the operational output. The exact thing they were delivering before, they will continue to deliver it. Whereas the substance and the raw material required to optimize that process to ensure that that output is possible was eliminated. And so, amen. They thought, they thought the ACs could help me, but... What I'm saying. Remove the advantage and keep the expectation the same. And then beat them if they don't meet the target. Prostrate them. The foreman came to Pharaoh and said, This demand is too much. Like, what happened? Did we offend you? Like, what's the problem? Our daily quarter is the same. Yet, what was going to make it possible is no longer available. Yet, you expect straw in the brick because there can't be brick without straw. So, we have to now go and divide our work plan into portions where it would include sourcing for straw by ourselves. So, we have to go out and then we don't even have straw. There's no way it's stored. So, we have to be using stubble instead of straw. And you expect us to meet the daily ration. This is unfair. Let's go to what Pharaoh said. Exodus chapter 5. So you understand the technology of complaining. It's a technology from hell. Whenever the devil wants to destroy people, he will just send forth this technology. The moment people begin to complain and nag, he knows that they are done for. They have automated suffering. That's what you do. Once you begin to complain and nag, and you are just complaining, and you are always on the edge, and you are always angry, and there's traffic, you're angry, you transfer aggression, and you're upset, and all those things, you have automated suffering in your life. The devil knows that he doesn't have to lift a finger again. He will just create a situation that would automate suffering. Look at what Pharaoh did. He manipulated the environment so that there will be sufficient reasons to complain. Exodus 5. Exodus 5. Look at that. Let's start from the beginning. And afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus said the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Verse 2, And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice? <laughs> Some people get mine though. Who is the Lord? Who, who be Lord? Where there's Pharaoh? Lord. He had never heard anything Lord. Pharaoh. Pharaoh was Lord. Who is, who is the Lord? Is there any other Lord outside of me? And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord. <laughs> I know Sabi the guy. Who is the Lord? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews has met us. Let us go, we pray you, three days journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. You know, they didn't ask for emancipation. They asked only three days. The impression they were giving Pharaoh is this. Let's just go for three days. To worship God. We'll come back. God knows that Pharaoh will not receive another dual worship. So he knew that that was the only way he could get Pharaoh to be insistent. So that the only basis for destruction would be his resistance. Do you understand? So he said, let us go and worship. Just three days we're looking for. And so Pharaoh said... And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their burdens? Let me read Amplified. This KJV 
Mm-mm. Amen. Do we have Amplified on the screen? On the screen. Amen. Glory to God. You should give a hand clap offering unto the Lord, really. <laughs> Bible says in verse 4, But the king of Egypt said unto Moses, Is this Amplified? Said unto Moses and Aaron, Why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are, not, are now many. This is, this is not what I'm looking for. Where's Amplified? That's Amplified on the screen. Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of... Okay, let, let me read from you. Is that Amplified here? We're getting used to this old thing, right? This is Amplified, right? So Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. This is not the version I'm looking for. I'm looking for a version where this mentioned that he was addressing his own men. Right? It's the next verse, right? Okay, so let's go back to Amplify. Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The next verse. Afterwards, 6, 6, 6, 6, 6. The very same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, the next day, next verse, you shall no more give the people straw to make brick. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. The next verse. But the number of the bricks which they made before, you shall still require of them. You shall not diminish it in the least. Not even remove any quota. For they are idle. That is why they cry. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Hey, Nisha. You who are idle. That's why you are crying. Let's go and worship God. Hmm. You see how the devil steals your praise from you. You will add work. And you too, you will be using work as a justification for not worshiping God. You don't know you have entered into this Pharaoh system. The reason why you don't come to church is because of work. Abi. The devil said, because that's the devil's voice there. You don't have work. That's why you want to be dancing and praising God. And you want to be going to church even during the, meet, uh, during the week. You want to be going early to church. You say any small thing, you are, you are a member of TGX. You are carrying church on your head. You are a member of GI. You are calling, you are following up. You don't have work. I will give you work. What did Pharaoh say? Let heavier work. Ah. Be laid upon the men that they may labor at it and pay no attention to lying words. So Pharaoh regarded God's promise as lies. Said they will not pay attention to the word of God and to the promises of God. They will just be too preoccupied with work. That that is all they will do. They will not focus on the things of God anymore. Then the taskmasters of the people went out and their officers and they said unto the people, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw anymore. I will not give you straw anymore. Verse 12 or verse 11. Go get the straws for yourself wherever you can find it. But your work, your quote will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw instead of straw. And then the taskmasters pressured them saying, finish your work, fulfill your daily quarters. Just as when there was straw given to you. And the Hebrew foremen went to Pharaoh, or whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and they were asked. Those were the mid-level managers who were managing the Israelites. And were beating them and beating them and saying, where are the rations for the day? Where are the quarters for the day? 
Why have you not fulfilled the, the required quota of making bricks yesterday and today as before? That means they couldn't meet their daily target. And so because they couldn't meet yesterday's target, it will spill over till today. And so they were having so many unfinished projects and abandoned work. And they, there was no way they could finish it because it just kept piling up and compounding. It was an impossible situation to cope with. Then the Hebrews four men came to Pharaoh and cried, why do you deal with us like this? Like, what do we do you? And then he said, "There's no." He said, "Why do you deal with us, your servants, like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, make bricks. And look, your servants are are being beaten. But it is not the fault of the people, but your own people." But Pharaoh said, "It is because you are lazy. You are very lazy and idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice unto the Lord. Get out now and get to work. For no straw will be given to you. Yet you are to deliver the same quota of bricks." The Hebrews foremen saw that they were in a bad situation because they were told, you must not reduce in the least your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh's presence, the foremen met with Moses and Aaron on the road. They saw Moses and Aaron inside the palace where they came to complain to Pharaoh. And they came to complain and Pharaoh was, of course, obstinate. And he said, there's nothing I can do. You guys are lazy and idle. That's why you're t- trying to go and worship God. And he said, you must continue exactly what you know, the taskmasters have told you to do. You stick with your daily quarters, but there's no straw for you. Go figure it out. And as they were leaving the presence of Pharaoh, they saw Moses and Aaron, and this is what they said. <laughs> and the foreman said unto them, May the Lord God look upon you and judge you. In other words, go. You get it. May the Lord look upon you and judge you, because you have made us odious. Something hated and smelly in the sight of Pharaoh. So, their objective was now to please Pharaoh. It was no longer to please and serve the Lord. It was to please Pharaoh. I, I will take this job if, if, if you continue to, you know, and then you, you, you make that job your life. You make con- the continual servitude to a kingdom that is not God's kingdom. You see why God will not say you can't serve God and the devil. He said you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and mammon. And so these guys made the service to Pharaoh which would hopefully ease them their own purpose in life such that anyone that came to violate or threaten that they found that person to be an enemy ah. the Bible says in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants you have put a sword in their hand to kill us then Moses turned again to God and said these things have become worse they were okay they were managing before I came now that I'm saying they should go and worship you the moment you want to worship, everything around you will be trying to ensure you are preoccupied with the thing that you were doing before that created the complaining situation. Everything around, the devil will instigate situations that will keep you in that bondage. But please, don't let it. Get out and go and worship. Go and worship. Don't let that thing keep you crammed and stifled and trapped. Go out and worship. Damn the consequences. Damn it. Because the moment the devil sees that worship is in sight, he will increase the work. The moment the devil realizes that this person will live a life of worship and service to God, he will increase the work to stifle you so that there will be no time for the Bible study. There will be no time for prayer. There will be no time for service. There will be no time for evangelism. There will be no time for the things that matter to God. It's because you are lazy and idle. That's why you are thinking of, of God. I will increase the work. The devil has not changed. And then he will increase the work, he will increase the stress, he will increase the complaints. 
you would increase the nagging. Because the opposite of thanksgiving is nags given. You begin to nag and you begin to complain. And Moses too was like Otonio. These guys were final. I came, I started trying to talk about one worship in the wilderness, sacrifice, and now they are suffering even more. It's the devil's ploy. Then Moses turned again unto the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you brought harm and oppression to these people? Why did you ever send me? I cannot understand your purpose. What are you trying to achieve? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has harmed and oppressed the people even more. And you have done nothing at all to rescue your people. This is the strategy of the devil 101. He sees worship in sight. He will do everything to stop you from worshiping. Do you know that the devil was willing to give the whole world to Jesus just so that Jesus will worship him? That is how much the devil detests it when you worship God. He will do everything in the world. He will try as much as possible to get all the attention he can get from you so that you will desist from worshiping God and you will worship him instead. Don't fall for that bait. Don't fall for that bait. That's just to establish in your heart the technology of hell that I explained about how that he creates an automated cycle of suffering. Complaining and nagging. He will just create a situation where you are living in a place where there's always traffic to work. And instead of you to put solid music, miracle, not retire, Jesus, my head is to just hiss and hiss and hiss and just be hissing. And then you hear anything on the radio that is inspiring you, you shut it and say, there's nothing good about this Nigeria. What's the problem of this country? What kind of a nation is this? You will just continue to complain and you create automated system that will just continue to give you sufferings per second. And you will stay in that situation, you will never see the glory of God. Because you have, you have stayed under that system that keeps people bound. Because the devil, the moment he knows you get into praise, you steal him. You steal the enemy and the avenger. He can't do anything. He's upset. He's gnashing his teeth. He wants to get out of that chain. But there's nothing he can do. Because you are praising. You're thanking God. You're giving praise to God. So he thinks he, will, he, he can heat up the fire around you and then you complain. And then you even increase the decibels of your rejoicing. And there's nothing he can do. There's nothing he can do. You steal the enemy. And you steal the avenger when you get into praise. That's the lifestyle of the believer. That's why there is never a season where we should stop. You don't stop. In all situations, thanksgiving will always be okay. It will always be the will of God in every situation. You don't need to discern whether it is time to give thanks. Anytime it's time to give thanks. Anytime. In, especially in the middle of the fire. Especially. Ah, imagine if the children of Israel while looking for the stop were singing along and were singing looking for the stop and they were singing and they were just getting merry in their heart and they were just rejoicing oh dear God so much more God could have done so the devil instigates a situation that will keep you perpetually complaining and nagging so that it can keep the hand of hell over your life the Bible says out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have ordained strength because of that enemy is to steal the enemy and the avenger. So praise steals the enemy and the avenger. Tell your neighbor, praise steals the enemy and the avenger. Say to your other neighbor, say, neighbor, praise steals the enemy and the avenger. Hallelujah. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 21. Good stuff, good stuff. Who else gets excited about God's word? Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Look at that. 
Jesus goes to the temple. By the way, this is a side journey. This is not the core. But this is just a side journey. The two times we see Jesus get upset in scripture. He got upset not because of personal reasons. If you slap Jesus on the right cheek, he's going to turn the left. Because he said so. Do you understand? He will never get upset because you slapped him. Because you bashed into him. Or because you caught him in traffic. Or you, 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 you did like this for him. He, he won't get upset for that. But then Jesus gets upset because purpose was violated. There was disalignment in the temple. People were using the temple that was meant to be the house of prayer. They were using it for merchandise. And so Jesus got upset. He threw the money of the money changers or the table of the money changers and door sellers. And then he got upset. Whipped them all. And the next verse, he healed. You know, it doesn't seem to align. Why would you be so upset? And the next thing, you're healing. And, and that's remarkable, really. Because that's the kind of person Jesus is. He's angry at disalignment. And the moment the purpose for which the house was set up, all right, they came to him, the blind, the lame, and they came to him and he started to heal them. And he healed them all and he got them saved and stuff. And then the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests, remember Sceva was a chief priest as well. These guys are religious. They know about the Torah, they know all those things, but they don't have God in their heart. They don't have relationship with God. They are selfish, prideful people. And so they came into the temple and they saw the amazing things that Bible says they saw they were not told about it they saw someone who was blind now he can see someone who was lame now he can walk someone who was deaf now he can hear this is wonderful this is amazing they saw it and then in addition to what they saw they saw children they started shouting and screaming Hosanna Hosanna Jesus is my hero Hosanna Jesus is the real guy he's the king and they began to scream and shout Hosanna and Bible says they were so displeased they were so displeased and upset. What impressed a bunch depressed them. The same thing. Same thing. Two people looking at the same thing. One person is getting excited. Glory to God. Look at what the Lord has done. And the other person says, uh, what is it? Why are you so happy? What's the big deal? So I realized that there are three attitudes to praise. Three attitudes. Three personality styles and profiles <laughs> to thanksgiving and to praise. Three. These guys are the very, should I say base or top now? Because this is the most concentrated level of dysfunction when it comes to your attitude towards praise. I'll call them the hypocritical scoffers. 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 The hypocritical scoffers. And I'll show you tendencies because some of us may have exhibited some of these tendencies in our engagements in previous times. And you may not even realize that you are being an hypocritical scoffer. That's what they said. They said unto Jesus, are you not hearing what these people are saying? Will you sit down there and be receiving this kind of worship? Are you that much of a big deal? What, how can you be there and you are receiving worship? They were okay when there was merchandising done in the temple. They found justification for the violation of the temple of the living God. They did have a problem with it. They were not angry when the purpose of God was, was being violated. They didn't have a problem with that. But the moment purpose was established, they got upset. They got upset. But let me read out a few things. You know, there are people who scoff at what children rejoice about. That means... For you to see a wonderful thing and rejoice, you have to create the disposition of a child. 
You have to enter into the similitude of a child. And we're going to learn some of these things this morning, all right, as we go along. Jesus just healed the blind and the lame. They scoffed. But when people sold in the temple, they were comfortable with that. When there was abuse in the temple, they had an explanation to justify it. The hypocritical scoffers are extremely negative people. They protect, they project rather, their insecurities, inadequacies and pride on everyone else around them. Whenever there is a possibility conversation around them, listen to this, this is their tendencies. Whenever there is a possibility conversation around them, they laugh it to scorn. Because how dare anybody else think of doing something that is amazing that they cannot do? How dare anyone else apart from them do something that is worthy of celebration? Who is that person? The world revolves around them. If anyone takes the spotlight, they are upset and they get bitter. You know, there were people who, after the Yildabasi story and sensation, they became motivational speakers and philosophers just to dilute the glory on that lady. Say, what does she do? What does she do? There are many ladies out there who are doing amazing. Come on. The cycle is on her now. Celebrate it. Don't be a scoffer. Don't be a hypocritical scoffer. Because if it were you, you would want that trend to last for two years. If it was you, you will create content that will continue to get everybody back on track and say, I'm still the world, you know, by the way, don't forget to, I'm still the Guinness Book of World Records holder and all that. After the Ilibasi victory, they found a way to belittle it. No one else is doing anything remarkable except them. This is how they behave in life. Have you tried to share good news with somebody before? And as you said it, they just picked up their own last good news. And they magnify it and they just drowse everything you just said. Have you had people like that? I just got a job, but in fact, six figures, hey, oh, that's good, that's good. In fact, the other day, in fact, I just, you know, this one was even seven, ah, in fact, it was just amazing. But thank God, thank God for you. Why? That's a hypocritical scoffer right there. You cannot afford to be the one under the spotlight. And they are there just cheering. They don't cheer. They get angry. They get displeased. And you see, it's a body language. When the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice, it knows that when you get into the space of rejoicing, something dies inside you. Something that is of the flesh dies. When you hang around people that are doing so well and you are rejoicing because they are doing so well. There is a fleshly desire to vain glory that dies. So he says, go to that place. Go and party with them. Go there. Don't just... Rejoice from afar. Go there. Go and rejoice with those that are rejoicing. Rejoice with them. Let that vainglory, that greed, that envy, let it die. Celebrate them. Post them. Yes, they are the ones I'm doing something with now. You don't have to exalt your own work and your own victories and your own achievements over somebody else's own. There are times someone says, there are times I want to say something to someone and God says, don't do that. Don't do it. And I'm, I'm just chatting and I'm about to share a story. And God says, don't, don't worry. Because he's sensitive to the person as well. Don't worry, don't worry, leave it. You've got to be sensitive. For hypocritical scoffers, they don't know anything about that one. The spotlight is on them, and the spotlight has been hinged. You understand? He cannot move. He's, never, he's not supposed to move. And the spotlight. <laughs> Praise God. Five signs of scoffers. Five signs of scoffers. These are the things that you can trace so that in case you are exhibiting scoffing, right, you can detect it in yourself. 
Number one, they hardly compliment people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? As I will tell you, welcome in the body church. Give a good compliment. Say it, say it. Don't think it, say it. I love your hair. You've got a good smile. Wow, that was really brilliant. That was amazing. Say it. Something is dying as you're saying those things. The need for vainglory dies. When you put the spotlight on other people, when you esteem others better than yourself, it is them on the same level. He said, better, put them higher, exalt their work, refer them, recommend them. There's some people with recommendation will come to your table. You know there's somebody beside you that is better than you. And you will kill that recommendation. Yeah, nobody does it though. No. I will do it, don't worry, I will do it. I'll do it. What I, uh, I will do it. And you know there's somebody that can do a far better job. But because you don't want that person to bear and, and prosper, you will kill that recommendation. They hardly compliment people. Number two, they don't think anyone is special. Every time you celebrate your pastor, they're like, what is it? Every time you celebrate anybody, anything, they say, what, what is it? Don't, they, they are too careful not to hero worship, so they don't even appreciate. They, I don't want to hero worship anybody. There's nobody that is worthy to be celebrated. Calm down. If it were you, you would like it. If it were you, you would like it. But if it's on anybody else, it's too much. It's zero worship. It's zero worship. They don't think anybody deserves double honor. They don't. When you give honor to those whom honor is due, they despise those people that are receiving the honor. And they begin to look out for their errors so that they can spotlight to everybody else. This person you are celebrating, you know, this is the thing about that person that you don't know. I just have to tell you people. Just to dilute the glory. Hypocritical scoffers. They don't think anyone else is special. Number three, they are unexcited when people get celebrated. You just notice that they will just recline their chairs, stay in one place. Everybody, the party is happening. Remember the other brother of the prodigal son? The hypocritical scoffer. People were partying and rejoicing. What did he do? He didn't enter. Because something in him will not be able to afford that presence. And that's the thing about the devil. The moment you praise, he cannot survive in that atmosphere. He can't. He can't afford that the spotlight is on somebody else apart from him. He couldn't afford it in heaven. He was in heaven. He was a Lucifer. He was in heaven. But he couldn't afford that. He was, he was under another person's shadow. There was a certain player. Okay? For those who understand. There was a certain goat in that team. And the glory was... But this guy said, Me said, I get glory now. I myself get glory. No, any sports in God, God. Are they come out, you're waiting. He's trying to get back now. He's looking, he's, he's trying to get back. Give glory to whom glory is due. Bible says there is the glory of the sun and there is the glory of the moon. There are bodies celestial and there are bodies terrestrial. The glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Different people, different glories, honor them. In fact, in honoring them, your light continues to shine. Don't be the kind of person that kills joy. And every time somebody's getting celebrated, it's like you are shrinking. No! That somebody's getting celebrated does not shrink your own glory. It doesn't. Get excited. Look out for how they can even be blessed. Recommend them. Refer them. Post them. Celebrate them. Somebody does something really amazing on the stage. Go look for their number. Let them feel good. It's okay. God created us for glory. He doesn't want this to get into our head like he did with Lucifer. 
but he's fine with it. I know you have, you've sang that song so much. You will never share your glory. All the glory he has, he has shared it. He has shared everything. Bible says, so that we can become partakers of his divine nature. He has called us into what? Glory and virtue. According as his divine power has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us. The problem is you must not grab it. But he calls you into it. And there is a disposition of someone that is called into a glory. It's the disposition of humility. You are not the one that is grabbing it. He thought it's not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't think it as something to, be, to grab and to keep and to hold on to. He let it go. Let God be the one to call me back and say, Now I'll give you a name that is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I'm not the one that will keep grappling. Ah, I'm God. Now what do you mean? You want to send me back to the earth? Ah, what, what's the meaning of that? No. He didn't see it as something to keep as a relic that must never be tampered with. He said, it's okay. You want me to become a man? You will call me back, I understand, but it's okay. I, I can be man for now. He calls you into glory. Don't grab glory. He calls you eventually. You know when they were going to make David king, he said, it's okay, I, I don't want he, he said, I don't want. They came back. They begged him. And I said, it's fine. Because they called him into glory. Some people, before they even mention your name, you're already on the stage. If it's not me, who else? That is the pride that must die. But that you're not made for glory is a lie. God made you for glory. Say to yourself, I'm made for glory. I'm made for glory. Arise, shine. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Gentiles will come. People will come to the brightness of your rising. It's okay. Just that your disposition under that spotlight must be that God, this glory actually belongs to you. I'm just a partaker. I'm just a partaker. So these hypocritical scoffers, they're unexcited when people get celebrated. Number four, they're often unhappy. Like, there's, there's no reason why there should be happiness. Like, is life not serious enough? Why, why, why should I be smiling up and down? What, what's the meaning of that? Don't insult me. He's not insulting to tell you to smile, brother. We are not insulting you. We are trying to loosen the facial muscles that is already cranking up right now. Losing them. They are often unhappy people because everything else offends them. But the moment you begin to massage their ego, they are smiling. Hey, stop it, Joe. Stop it. Don't be massaging their ego. They, 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 gather, they gather psychophants around them. Such people, when you give them critical feedback, they cannot afford it. They cannot afford to think of, of themselves in a light other than the most perfect, most revered, most honored. They assume that there is nothing wrong they can do. They can't do wrong. They can't take a, 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 a step wrong. So, they can't afford that they are not the ones at the center of everything. There are times God will put you in leadership positions. Step back. Let other people take that center stage. God is, why would Jesus say greater works? Like, do you understand what that means? Jesus, in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in bodily form. He looked at his disciples, he said, you guys think you are from Yaba, you are from Abuliegba, Nikorodu, but greater works that I did you shall do. Because I'm going to the Father, I, I, I'm not here anymore. You will get more spotlights than I did. You will fill more stadiums than I did. You will heal more people than I did. You will reach far more people than I did. And I'm fine with it. In fact, in that, I get glory. What kind of a Jesus is that? Yet, because you are the leader, you must be the Alpha and Omega of everything. 
Everything must pass through you like a pipe. No. No. Decentralize. Let other people carry some measures of glory. The challenge with that system is that the moment you are put out as a light, that place gets dark. If you are a light in a place, if you are put out, that place should still be very reasonably lit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when they come into that room and you are not on, they can still see. If I reasonably still that they don't even miss you as much. Because you are just a contributing light. Not that the moment your light goes off, everywhere is dark. You didn't light other candles around you. Don't be the center of the universe. You know, you see the way Pharisees walk. They walk because they want to be noticed. They are walking. In their walking. Can you imagine that somebody is walking so that people can look and take notice? I'm like, ah, wow. So they walk in a certain way. Circumspect. Ghetto. Sharp like this. They walk on a straight line. They want to look beside them. And everything is like robots. Like, abba. Somebody literally just got mobbed. Mobbed. A Pharisee was going to the temple. He saw him. He just looked away. Abba. The weightier matters of the Lord. Mercy, justice, truth, love. They neglect all those things. As long as their agenda and their program is not tampered with. As long as people respect them in the marketplaces. They will pray long hours and scream out their lungs. So that people will say, ah, that guy is prayerful. He is spiritual. Everything is so that they can be seen. And the moment there is a Jesus that comes in the neighborhood that people seem to be paying some attention to, they feel like, what is, let's even go and disrupt everything. What's going on? Who is this Jesus? And they want to crucify him. They can't afford a context where they are not the king. They can't afford it. And the last thing is that they see all the reasons why something good happening is very unlikely. I'll say that again. They see all the reasons why something good happening is very unlikely. You remember the man that doubted Elisha's prophecy? That's a hypocritical scoffer right there. Even if the thing will not happen, relish in the suggestion of the possibility. Just rejoice in the fact that I can't even think it. But they will verbalize their folly, verbalize their unbelief, and remove the small faith that is gathering in the minds of others. They will drowse it with their unbelief. Even if something good will not happen, can you at least enjoy, however momentarily, the positive emotions that a suggestion brings to your imagination? Many people scoff anytime something good is said or proclaimed about Nigeria. Stop it. Nigeria will be better again. Hey, give me Nigeria. This one. This one. <laughs> Nigeria. Which one? <laughs> wait, wait, which Nigeria? And then you make it so ridiculous to think of a possibility of change because you are a scoffer at heart. Anything that tries to get better, you, you drowse it. You tell everybody, well, it, it can never happen. That guy could have kept quiet. He was not the only, place, he was not the only person that doubted. Everybody did. Elisha said, you wait, you thought everybody believed. But he was foolish enough to verbalize it. And he began to tamper with perhaps the small type of faith that was building in the hearts of other people. He tampered with it. And Elisha said, you will see it. In fact, because of you, God is now extra motivated. He will prove it to you that he is God. You will see it, but you will not taste of it. You are a hypocritical scoffer. Praise the name of the Lord. Beware of people who lack the capacity to rejoice with those who rejoice. Why didn't you come for the wedding? Say the truth. Why didn't you go for that wedding? Why? Why didn't you go for that wedding? Say the truth. Tell your neighbor, say the truth. Why didn't you go for that wedding? Tell, ask your neighbor, why? 
No, why? Why? Tell, say the truth. No, why didn't you go for that wedding? Why? You have the time. You had the Ashwabi. You had the money. You then went to excavate one, one funny excuse. You went to excavate. You look for all the reasons in the world. You prepared it. You kept it in your post, nice and tidy. So that the next time they say, why didn't you come? You will just release the, the excuse. But you researched one week to get that excuse. You had no excuse. You just didn't want to be around someone who was enjoying what you had been praying for. Just don't, you don't want to enter that atmosphere. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Rejoice with them. Get excited for them. Genuine. Don't even use it as a prayer point. Just get excited. For excitement's sake. Don't say, ah, as God has done, don't worry. Just get excited. That is the prayer point. Did you hear that? In just being happy for them. That is the prayer point. It's not when you're happy for them and you use them and you touch their garments and use them as a point of contact. You are just an extra cable. That's why you are just tapping current. You are not believing God. You are just using people as point of contact. Your whole wardrobe is full of handkerchiefs. Point of contact. Point of contact. Point of contact. And you're not selling it. You're just gathering it. Point of contact. Be happy for people genuinely. Happy for people. They are not the only ones. If you go further down that pyramid, there are the hypocritical scoffers. Then there are the indifferent aloofers. Indifferent aloofers. Just of time, we'll just read through. These ones have amazing things happening all around them in their lives and in the lives of others. Yet, they either didn't notice it or are too indifferent to acknowledge it. Remember, the hypocritical scoffers do something about their unpleasant and, you know, displeasure towards that thing that is happening. They do something about it. They tweet about it. They dilute it. They are very actively trying to dilute the glory. Indifferent people, something good is happening. Good, you know, good. Like, they are so indifferent. They are just, they just don't care. They are almost miracle blind. Hmm. May you not be miracle blind. Miracles will be happening around you like this. You won't even notice. Because you are too indifferent to see that God is doing something amazing in the environment. God is in the neighborhood. You are not even perceiving it. They don't abound in text given. They have become so insensitive to the million little miracles. They take God's goodness and grace for granted. They wake up in the morning. No one's there to be happy about. But you just woke up. They are so miracle blind. Say good morning. What is good about the morning? You are alive. What is good about this morning? You are alive to hear good morning. The miracle blind. They focus on everything that is not working. And therefore become indifferent. Five signs of aloofers. Things don't thrill them. They are not easy to excite. It takes a whole lot for God to impress them. Almost like God has to go and rehearse. Say, I want to impress this young lady today. What must I do? Ha! Uluwa. What must I do? What must... This is God. Oh. Ah. Maybe, maybe if the sun stands still, he will notice. God has to be that dramatic. For them to observe that something is different. And even when the sun stands still, they say, ah, is this, what is this thing they call this? They say it's eclipse. And they just move on. And that was what God researched. 
to impress them and they saw it and they said it's eclipse they will still not give glory to the god that made it happen can you imagine god has to do all that hard work and they still just miss it number two they are not in touch with those who have helped them in the past they're not in touch they're so entitled they're not in touch with those that have helped them in the past somebody helped you through a season and you forget that person entirely and then that's the person's job now to sustain you and you will not go back and say thank you you won't have plenty and then go back and give the first big break of david the moment he made his first one million he split everything out i mean he split everything into like 100 100 k and started sending it to everybody that ever preserved him in his journeys a single naira did not enter his pocket he was grateful that is even as he's going through the hard times he, he was keeping a diary he was journaling all his experiences ah while i was in this wilderness it was baba this that helped me while i was in this one it was this guy that hosted me if not for this guy i won't have had a place to stay in lagos if not and he cannot it like that so that the next time god blesses him like this he will first go and sort the people that have ever sustained him in his history but these indifferent guys their job to do what they do entitlement indifferent aloofers they are not in touch with those who have helped them in the past number 3 they are not currently helping anyone hmm their philosophy is every man for himself i struggle to get to where i am go and do your own struggle every man for himself and they discount the help that a lot of people gave on their way they discount it as if they would have still been there without those helps so they lose touch with those who have helped them and they are no longer helping anyone so they are not part of god's economy god cannot recycle things around them everything stops with them they're not in god's economy they're not currently helping anyone they believe that it is every man for himself number four, they are not warm towards others you remember nabal was a self-made man not realizing that even the money that he said he self-made it was david that preserved it for him self-made man they are not warm towards others even if it's a stranger can you lend that person's name and try to know the person so who are you who are you who is, who, who is your father can you imagine david the man that has been preserving your sheep and you 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 refer to him like some dog indifferent aloofers number 5 they are presumptuous about gratitude god has never assumed your gratitude hmm. i will say that again god does not assume gratitude Jesus expected the 10 to come back. Only one came back. Jesus did not say they thought Thanksgiving. They thanked me in their heart. God does not look at Thanksgiving in the heart. I'll say that again. You need to understand this one. If nothing in your body is expressing gratitude, you have not given thanks. Something must show it that you are grateful. These people could have gone thinking that, thank God, uh, uh, you understand now, like nine of them were healed along with the same guy that was healed and none of them could have just said thank god in their minds and continued moving on but they did not do anything about it only their heart knew and god said they didn't give thanks if your gratitude stays only in your heart it's not thanksgiving you must do something about your thanksgiving you must dance you must give thanks you must shout you must clap that was what david was telling us in psalm the whole book of psalm it was not just a meditative thing 
Oh, give thanks. Oh, clap your hands. I will dance. I will give thanks. When he was giving thanks, even his wife detested him because it was too embarrassing. He had to do something about to give expression to the spiritual energy of joy in his heart. Yet, you are grateful, but you stand still. If we snap you, we will think it's... You know that that is video you are taking, but you think it's picture. Because they are just... Amen, amen. Blessing. In their, it's only in their mind. God said it's not thanksgiving, no. Jesus could have said, ah, I heard it, I heard it. They thanked me. Mm-hmm. They, they thanked me. He could have said that. But he waited to see the one that came and bowed and worshipped. And he said, were they not ten? Why is everybody assuming thanksgiving and only you expressed it? But God knows I thanked him now. How? Did you do anything about it? Did you lie down? Did you worship? Did you rababa? Did you kneel down? Did you clap? Did you shout? Did you jump? Did you swirl? You didn't do anything but, ah, I thank God. Even God knows. God did not hear it. If the environment cannot see it, God did not hear it. Uh, I thank God. God knows I thanked him. Where, where's the receipt? No, where's it? Where's the receipt? Where's the evidence that you thanked God? Where is it? That is why as we leave this word session, the way you give thanks this morning, the host of heaven must know that there is a new recruit. That once you get to heaven like this, they will recruit you straight into the choir. Because they know. Amen. So, so when, in this venue, when we praise, when we give thanks, people cannot recognize as a church in this venue. Because we will give everything. Nobody comes here and is preserving makeup. No one is not here. I am preserving makeup. Ah, smear everything. For God, smear everything. Let somebody almost be embarrassed on your behalf. Is their embarrassment? Is their own? You are not embarrassed. It was David's wife that was getting embarrassed. <laughs> David was not embarrassed. It was his own. He, will, he said, in fact, I will dance even more violently. Shabi, I was, I was just dancing like this before. I will do all kinds of somersaults just to upset you. He said, it is God that picked me ahead of your father. That's what David said, isn't it, man? This was, the, this was the woman David loved so much. That he came back after she had been given to another man. He collected her back. Yet... When she stood in between himself and praise, he said, you are nothing. Forget it. I lose my regard for you this moment. You want to stand between me and my thanksgiving. You don't know what God has done for me. Yet you come and judge how I give him thanks. So you, you were not there when God was saving me. But you want to be there and to be, to be, you want to be organizing how I give him thanks. That's your embarrassment. It's your embarrassment. And if you are foolish enough to tell me about it, I will upset you even more. It's your embarrassment. Because when we did not have a venue, you don't know. You understand? You don't know. You were not there. Give back! You cannot be coming as
Jesus. So these guys, they are very presumptuous about Thanksgiving. God knows I was grateful. Where's the receipt? Did you cry before him? Did the children see him and say, Hosanna, Hosanna? Is that is that how they did it? The Bible says they cried. Not tears, oh, they shouted their lungs out. Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They screamed, they danced. It upset the Pharisees and the scribes. They did it so much, it peppered them. The last set, which is where you belong. Amen. These are the blessed woofers. They are the hypocritical scoffers. They are the indifferent aloofers. These are the blessed woofers. See those stuff? They call them so what? Woofers. This bunch are so high on the last thing God did. They've not left it. They are still so high on the last thing God did for them that God does not wait for them to recover. Because if He waits, He'll wait forever. They are still so high. That is, if God is waiting for you to pipe down, God will wait forever before he does the next. So he says, I can't wait for this one. Let me just continue to refresh, refresh, refresh. They are so high on the last thing God did for them. So God does not wait for them to recover from what he has done before he does another one. God doesn't wait anymore. If God waits on the effect of the last thing to win, he would never do anything else. Because they will forever give thanks. They are so high. That which God did five years ago, they are still giving thanks as if it was yesterday. They just never recover from it. They just never stop thanking God. They never stop. They are so intoxicated by God's goodness. They are very easy to impress by God. So easy to impress. They are childlike in their faith. And they are heavy on gratitude. They are so impressionable. Any small thing God does, they are giving thanks already. Any small traffic that was eased, they will give thanks. Any small thing, they are giving thanks. Small thing, the, the most insignificant things that the hypocritical scoffer will have to compound by one million before he even sees it. They would already start giving thanks in those little, little things. Little things. Little things. They are so easy to impress. Five signs of woofers. They are easy to impress by God and man. That means they get easily impressed by people too. Someone does something small for them. They give thanks. You know, and it's a Yoruba culture, right? They give thanks to you. give thanks today. They stay especially that you come back tomorrow. And if they do something for you, you have said thank you, thank you once. It's not enough. Oh. You better go there tomorrow and say thank you again. Because it's not... You understand? That is, you get thanks yesterday, but it's not enough. You must do another today again. That's how you can continue to perpetuate that kind of miracle. So they are easy to impress by God and men. When people do small things for you, thank them a lot. We read them with thanksgiving. And you are not trying to be manipulative. You are not trying to get them to do more things for you. You are just honestly, genuinely grateful. And you tell them, thank you. 
They are easy to impress by God and by men. They give compliments so easily. They are lavish with praise. Because you can't be giving God so much thanks and then you defile or you, you discount men and you dishonor men. It's not consistent. When you honor God, you will honor men. When you praise God, you will praise men. When you celebrate God, you will celebrate men. When you love God, you will love men. So you can't be the kind of person that is saying, this is my relationship is only between me and God. And the men, you discount them. You say, why are you, why are you making it look like he's too special? He's so special. There is a spirit of a Lucifer inside of you. If every time somebody gets glory, you get offended. Give thanks. Praise. Compliment. Celebrate with people. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Be easily impressed. Somebody delivers a good thing. Do say it to the person. The poem was great. The song ministration was amazing. Let them know. Be easy to impress. Not people will do everything and say, what have you done? And then you go and excavate the last person that did it, Michael Jackson. Say, well, have you done more than Michael Jackson? And then you just, you, and who can do more than Michael Jackson? Do you understand? Like, who wants to beat him? And then you say, hey, if you cannot beat Michael Jackson, then you can't, uh, uh, your standard are not high. It's your heart of gratitude that is low. Say, my standard is so high, I'm hard to impress. No. God has to do so much to impress you. And even after that, you will still not be impressed. If God can give up on impressing you, who is man? And there are people like that. Little things don't mean much to them. Much things mean little to them. Hmm. They take things in their stride. Number two. First sign of the woofers. They are easy to impress by God and man. Number two. They take things in their stride. They don't dwell on regrets. They don't. They see so many good things that they can't be bothered by the one thing that did not work. So many good things to give thanks for. It is that one thing that did not work. That you will not be focused on and be regretting and be... Come on. 99 are good. Why are you focused on the one that is a little okude gato? Can you just give thanks for the 99? If I give thanks for the two. If it is two that is working out of 100. Give thanks for the two. As you continue to give thanks, it will continue to expand. Be less focused on the little miracles. And zoom them out. They take things in their stride. They don't regret things. Because in this, in this journey, we had the opportunity to regret what we did in the last one. We, we could have sunk in that depression. Say, hey, see what is happening now. What kind of a misfortune is this? And we call ourselves a church. Oh, hey, hey, ha, ha, scandal. But we took ourselves up again. And I said yesterday to the leaders, when you find yourself down, you're back to the ground, and then God lifts you up, the energy you will run with in that second sprint is not your energy. It's the energy of the Spirit of Grace. Because you will realize that the second sprint, it's like there's an energy you didn't have the first time. Because you relied on a strength that is bigger than you. But if you dwell in that regret, the devil can kill you there. That's how Saul died. You have been shot, you are not yet dead. Can you tell the guy to raise you into your chariot, instead of telling him to shoot you down? But he said, no, 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 just, just fall upon me. Because I've been shot. You were shot, you were not killed. You were shot, you were not killed. Don't tell somebody to kill you because you were shot. Tell him to help you into your chariot. You will get back to the palace. You will live again. But, but you tell him, ah, I've been shot. I can't go again. Kill me. No. Don't die in that spot. Don't die there. That's not where the story is supposed to end. You were only shot. You were not killed. Number three. They don't need reasons to give thanks. 
When they are giving thanks, or you're asking them, they say, what's your own? I don't need a reason. I'm just too grateful. I'm still high on the last one he did. I'm still so high on the salvation he gave me 2,000 years ago. I'm still so high on it, that if he doesn't do anything else afterwards, I'm fine. They don't need reasons to give thanks. Number four, they have learned how to celebrate others and celebrate with others. So when good things are happening, they go there. They just like that atmosphere of joy and party and celebration. The father got his son back and he threw a party immediately at short notice. Be capable of throwing parties at short notice. The father did not know the guy was going to come back that day. But that same day, he threw a party. That day. You, before you throw a party, you plan two years. The father threw a party immediately. Unprepared, unplanned. Throw a party. And the party does not have to be elaborate. Just play music and dance. That's a party. That's a party. That's a party. Celebrate others and celebrate with others. Number five. Before, before I say this, number five, let me just say this. What it means for something to be comely is for something to be attractive. So if I tell a lady, you, you look comely. You see, that's a very big you know, compliment. You look so attractive. If you have a wife here and you are sitting beside your wife, tell your wife you look comely. If you are not sitting beside your wife, tell that person that <laughs> you look comely with the comeliness of God. <laughs> you look comely with the comeliness of God. You know when you say, I love you, I love you with the love of God. <laughs> you have to qualify that love. <laughs> Praise God. So God gave me this picture. He said, imagine he's in air and he wants to land on a tarmac. Our lives are like that tarmac. And he has several choices that he could land on. But he looks for the comeliest tarmac. He looks for the tarmac that is adorned with praise. And then he lands on it. Remember the Bible says he rides on the wings of praise. I saw that picture in my heart as I was praying for this sermon. God is, he wants to land. But so many people's stomachs full of complaints. And those complaints are dirt. They, they are very ugly. They are not comely. They are just always nagging. You are here, you, are, you have a husband, you have a wife, and you are always complaining to them. Stop it. It ruins your beauty. It ruins it. You stop looking attractive. The people that divorced did not become uglier overnight. But their spirits overshadowed the comeliness of their body that used to be comely. That spirit of nagging and complaining, it just made them look worse off. And so the guy says, I'm tired. Because they're not growing in the beauty of the meek and quiet spirit. They're just always complaining and nagging and, and just complaining and, and just complaining and nagging. Rouses the beauty of your body. And when you start praising and giving thanks and smiling and rejoicing, it enhances you. It makes you even more beautiful. So when God is coming down with the cloud of heaven, he's looking for the tarmacs that have been adorned with praise, adorned with thanksgiving, the ones that are comely, 
the ones that they can come to they, 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 are, they are ready to receive him that God wants to visit you but you are always complaining and guess what if you complain a lot in your house when spirit discerning people enter into the house they can tell the atmosphere is wrong these things are spiritual the walls can tell your wallet can tell your bank account can tell that in this atmosphere there is no growth here this soil is not good things will bounce you know there's something called bounce rates on websites as you jump on that website you don't well, this is not good it's not good but there are some websites the bounce rate is very low as you enter the website you just want to stay there you want to recline you want to chill because it is comely so the last point here is this they go on praise breaks from time to time just to release the spiritual energy in their spirits you know what praise breaks are no praise breaks are for no reason unscheduled unplanned you just get into that praise break you're you are typing on your laptop you're just typing, Glory! You, just, you come back you come back it's a praise break mommy i hope i'm not scaring you <laughs> because can we celebrate mommy here please <laughs> i'm sure it was a delight Watching your daughter lead you in praise and worship. I mean, she did a fantastic job raising her. Can you, can you celebrate her once again? Because there's no better way to raise your children than to raise them with an attitude of thanksgiving. If you can train your child to say thank you, about 80% of that training is, is sorted. So just be grateful. They do something for you, say thank you. Acknowledge people. Don't take things for granted. Who is ready for a praise break this morning? Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at PowerPoint Tribe.